Welcome to Epiphany, the podcast where we discern what is good, acceptable, and perfect by the renewal of our minds in the light of Christ. Hey guys, welcome back to Epiphany for round two on prayer. Um, we could probably go like 37 rounds or whatnot, and, um, but we're going to stick with two for now. We, we can always reopen this discussion later if questions roll in or whatnot. But um, I'm joined again by AJ. We're just continuing the same conversation. We talked a lot last time about the importance of prayer, why it's so vital, how it's a little bit about how it's kind of transformed uh, my life and AJ's life and things. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but um, we're going to dive in. We're going to try to get more into the practicals. Okay. So we've talked, we've said a lot of quote unquote, pretty things about prayer and they're all very true. And I would argue they're beautiful because of the depth of their truth, but we are going to talk now um, kind of practically, what does that look like? Maybe some of you tried for the past week to do mental prayer and you're like, okay, I don't, is it working? Like, how does this, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Yeah. But we'll um, we'll give you a lot of practical tips on how to do that and stuff like that. And also start with some distinctions. And so without, you know, without further ado, let's just dive right into those. Let's get it. Yeah. Um, AJ, one of the distinctions you made that I, I really appreciated sure. before we started this whole thing is you, you, you wanted to highlight the distinction between mental prayer and like Eastern meditation and yeah. Eastern being like Oriental, like Buddhism, Hinduism, yeah. because, because meditation is actually like, there's like a, there's like a mindfulness app, like on Apple now. And so it's like, wait, it's, really? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's like a mindfulness app on the, I've got an Apple watch and it every once in a yeah. while hits me with mindfulness and I'm like, should I get rid of the, anyway. yeah. but I'm sitting That's here. It's like, <laughs> it's like, I don't need mindfulness. I meditate on the Lord, you know, it's whatever. I need God. <laughs> yeah, thanks like, Apple. Yeah. It's like, thanks That's Apple fine. for being, it's like, it's like, so Eastern meditation in a sense is almost like becoming the secular style of mental prayer. It's like this, because you can't get away, again, let's go back to the beginning of of last episode. Like You cannot get away from the natural human disposition to the divine. Correct. Like we were made for it. And so even in this like wildly materialistic and secular world that's very atheistic, Mm -hmm. they're like, well, maybe it's not that we're talking to a God. Maybe it's just that we're like being mindful or like- Yeah, like we're talking to our higher selves or something like that. (laughs) And it's like- it's it's kind of weird because then it like with the thinking process like that it literally again goes back to like you putting yourself at the center and like you like then like worshiping your own like self knowledge or like self deity or whatever that ends up becoming sometimes you know it can get really weird really quickly it well yeah. it's it's totally it's it's totally a retro development yeah that's the thing that blows my mind and it's like we are so. As a society, not me and you, but like right. it's like we as a society are so grossed out by the idea of submitting to a religion, like submitting yeah. to a God who mm-hmm. has asked us to do things. Because unfortunately, our understanding of obedience and service has been kind of thwarted by Marxist principles now. So we're, we're so disgusted by the idea of serving a God that we're like, we are, we're desperate to find some way to fill that desire in our hearts for prayer and intimacy with the divine, yep. yet also not have to actually enter a relationship with the divine. With God, and, yeah. so, and so, uh, yeah, it's interesting you said it's like it becomes us, right? Like it's our own yeah. spirit, which is, by the way, our soul is divine. 
Yes. So you know what I mean? Like our soul is of yeah. the divine, which it's is like breath why, of God, right? Yeah. And so it's like it's like even it, when we self-aggrandize, we're in a sense still longing for God. We're just finding the part of us that is divine and like worshiping that. And it's yeah. like anyway, it's it's very selfish. It's very self-centered. But let's distinguish a little more particularly. Yeah, um, what is the difference between like an Eastern meditation slash mindfulness, which is kind of the secular version? And I don't want to group up the Buddhist meditation with this kind of modern secular mindfulness either. That'd probably be way too insulting to the Buddhists. But um, that style of meditation, it does have something in common, um, which it does not have in common with Christian meditation. And, and, and that is this. Eastern meditative principles, and if you if you read the principles of Buddhism, it, and this is very explicit, are the whole point of Eastern meditation is self annihilation, mm-hmm. is the complete quieting and and basically dissolving of the self. You in in your meditation, you are supposed to disappear. Your emotions, your feelings, your desires, anything that is you is supposed to disappear. And in a sense, you are supposed to almost evaporate into the one. So in a sense, the whole point of Buddhist meditation is for you to be annihilated in, in place of the one. Now there's a way in which that can sound sort of Christian, which is why I think many Christians, even like Thomas Merton kind of at the end of his life started to get into kind of a dialogue with Buddhism and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, But, but the, because it can sound Christian, right? It's like, I die so that, I mean, John the Baptist, I must decrease so that he may increase. increase. And God is called like one. And so the idea of the one, like Mm -hmm. you could kind of, you could say maybe that's God and we like have to die so we can enter into a relationship. But but here's the core, core difference there. In Buddhism, we are completely annihilated. In Christianity, we are completely fulfilled. The difference is our entering into relationship with the one who is God himself, entering into relationship with God doesn't destroy us, but it perfects us. And so as when John the Baptist says, I must decrease and he must increase, what he's saying is basically like, I need to get out of the way so Christ can come and be expressed. But in the sense, what happens is as John the Baptist decreases, he actually increases. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the rever- reverse principle of the of the Christian doctrine. Like it's those who are little are made big. It's yes. it, he uses the he uses the wisdom of the he, or he uses the he uses the like the ignorant to shame the wise. He uses the weak to shame the proud and the strong. Right? It's this whole idea that when we become little, when we become humble, when we die, we actually live. And so that's the core principle. We are not seeking self-annihilation. We're seeking self-fulfillment. And practically speaking, how that manifests in the meditative practices is, again, Buddhist meditation principles are going to look to the complete annihilation of any sensation. You're going to almost look to become nothing in your mind. Your mind is completely emptied Mm. of anything. You don't have thoughts. You don't have feelings. You just are. Yeah. We do something similar, but very different. We also try to clear our minds. We also try to uh, clear our hearts of excess feeling. We try to clear our minds of excess thought, um, which is why, and we'll talk more about this in a second, why silence is so important for mental prayer. But we do not empty it for emptiness's sake. We empty it so that we may fill it. And so we empty it of distraction so that we may fill it with the Lord. 
What is our definition of prayer again, AJ? To lift the heart and mind to God. So God is the object of our prayer. Exactly. He is the object of our meditation. Yeah, not ourselves. No. Or not something else or not nothing. Right? Yeah. it's Because it, it, nothingness in and of itself is nothing. Correct. And remember, God is, um, and this could, be a, this could be a fun episode too for later, but God is being itself. Yes. God is existence. There's a way in which... There's a way in which it's improper to say God exists. I know that is true, and I know what we're saying, but like the more accurate thing to say is God is existence itself. Mm. That's why God. That's why God reveals Himself in the Old Testament is I am who am. Mm. I am existence itself. Like I don't. I, I don't have anything. Like I am what it is to be existent. So so everything that exists participates in God. Yeah. So. If we are truly pursuing in meditation nothingness, we're by definition pursuing the opposite of God. God. Because God is all good. And what is the complete depravity of good? Evil. Yep. God is all being. He is being itself. What is the complete opposite of being? Nothing. Nothing. Nothingness. Yep. So like to pursue nothingness by definition is literally to, to run the opposite Same direction way. of God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it does require us to clear our minds. It does require us to set a place for him. And so one of the most important things to understand about mental prayer is the one of the prerequisites for mental prayer is silence. If you're looking for a really good book um, on this particular to- topic, Cardinal Sarah, Cardinal Sarah, um, I still don't know how to pronounce his name. I just, I've heard it both ways. But anyway, um, he wrote a book called The Power of Silence. And it was like a it was like an interview style book that was written or whatnot. But he talks about the importance of silence and prayer. And I, what, right from the very beginning of the book is one of my favorite distinctions he ever made. He said, he said, kind of hearkening back to the prophet Elijah, right when he goes into the cave and the Lord says, "Come and listen." I love that story. It's That's like my favorite favorite scripture story ever. It's, it's so, so good. It's so it's important. So the angel of the Lord comes. Up, okay, okay, go stand by the cave because the Lord will pass by. Yes. Right, and then there's like the fire and the earthquake and the storm. And there's the all these like all this crazy, all this, like, crazy yeah. loud stuff, and you can imagine the terrified Elijahs like quivering. <laughs> but he says he he knows he's not there. But then it said there's then it says it depends on what translation you got. But he says and then there. There was a sound of sheer silence, or it could it could also be a lot of translations would be like a still small voice whisper, whisper or something. Or something. Yeah. But I love that translation. The sound of sheer silence. What is the sound of silence? You know, other than a hippie song for that's like, is that Simon and Garfunkel that wrote that song? There's like an old song, the sound I of silence, and it's too old for me. Yeah, probably it's too old for me too. <laughs> Gosh dang. Anyway, I think it was a Simon and Garfunkel song, the sound of silence. But the whole point is, what is the sound of silence? So, but what happens when he hears that sound of sheer silence? Um, I think it's Second Kings, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, the sound of sheer silence. Elijah immediately falls onto his face because he knows that is the Lord. And so, Cardinal Sirach kind of pulls from that principle, from that moment, um, and he says that silence is the voice of God. Like, like that is the means by which God communicates to us. And so if you've ever like prayed and been like, I just don't hear anything. Like, I just don't, it's like, yeah, because the Lord communicates through silence. Like that's his voice. His voice literally is silence. And, but he, but he distinguishes, and this is my, this getting to the point, this is what Cardinal Sarad distinguishes at the beginning of that book. And what I love so much is he distinguishes silence and quiet. Okay. He says, quiet is merely the absence of noise. But he said, silence, it, it, it requires quiet, 
but it is a positive presence. It's not just the absence of noise. It's, 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 a, it's quiet that has been filled with something positive. And so silence in the, in the prayerful sense is the Lord's presence. And so one of, I mean, maybe this is just a, this is maybe first practical step number one. Um, if you want to engage in mental prayer, the first thing I think, the first thing that I typically do with my students or with my spiritual rectees or parishioners or anyone who asks is I always take an inventory of the noise in their life. I always ask them, okay, how much noise do you have in your life? Do you listen to tons of music? You know, are you, is it every time you have free time, you've got something playing? Do you have like uh, stuff like that? And that's just like actual audible noise, but there's, there's also such thing as like emotional noise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think something to kind of build off of that too would be particularly in my own life. I recognize this and this may sound kind of weird. I've kind of like stopped listening to to music altogether. Um, not in like a bad way. It's not like if somebody has music on, I'm going to be like, yo, like shut that off. You know, like it's more of you're disturbing my silence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I'm not, that would just be uncharitable, but like, I'm, you know, yeah, I try to like promote silence in my own life. And so what I actually started to notice, and if you, if you guys try this, like what you might actually come to find is when I went an extended period of time without listening to secular music, what would happen is I would actually go to pray and then all of a sudden just like songs out of nowhere are like coming into my mind, like just these like weird, like totally obscure, like random and like secular songs, like the YMCA. Like a memory of songs like that you used to that listen to. That I used to, to listen to. Would come and to mind. They would okay. come and it was like a distraction and it was crazy. And so like, I think for about a, like, and actually it actually like caused me a little bit of distress one week. Cause I was just like, I cannot get this one song out of my freaking <laughs> head. And like, all I want to do is, I is just pray. This. Yeah. And what happened? I all, love this story. All I wanted to do was just pray. And I literally like, I, so I was like, Lord, get this song out of my head right now, please, in your most holy name. And literally I was I was praying and I just like kind of closed my eyes. And next thing I know, I like I'm like picturing like this radio like blaring and like in my own mm. prayer and like it's got this song and then like I I picture the Lord and like he just came in with like a baseball bat. And started beating, like, just <laughs> literally destroying the radio that was playing this song. And I mean, like, it was like, you know, when he's in the temple, like, angrily flipping tables. It was like that type of, yeah, like, that type of Jesus that I was, like, you know, getting to encounter. And, like, that happened. And the beautiful thing is, like, there was silence, like, after that, mm. which is really cool, you know, how the Lord kind of interacted there. But, like, yeah, it's just weird, you know, like, how if you don't make room for silence— you you really truly like will you will not hear his voice. Yeah, you and, got, yeah you yeah. got it. You got to create silence in your life. Yeah, um, you got it. You have to create silence. And and I just this world is so noisy. We have new we every technolo- technological advancement we make just creates new possibilities for noise. Correct. I mean, think about the world before electricity. Real quick, like. You're talking about a world or think about the world before the engine mm-hmm. or between like think about all the I loved, you know, it, it, growing up. This this reminds me of a couple of things growing up. I remember 
um, right after hurricanes when the power's out for a week. Oh, yeah. Do you remember what your house was like when the power's out? It was quiet. Mm -hmm. It was almost deafening how quiet your house is when the power's out and there's just nothing. All you hear is like the weather outside or maybe even the stillness after the storm. And it was like so peaceful. Mm -hmm. And it almost makes you want to just turn your AC unit off. Like it just, which you can't do in in the South, like seven months of the year, but it's like, (laughs) it makes you want to like, can I just go back somewhere where there's no artificial noise? Mm -hmm. You know, like I even think like in our, in our confessional here at St. Michael's, like the fluorescent light has a, has a, a touch of a buzz. Oh really? And I hear it and I oh, sit in there, no. you know, I sit in there for hours. So like I notice it <laughs> yeah, when it goes on sure. and it's just like, but those little things and you don't notice them because it's just white noise and it yeah. just kind of echoes in your voice or whatnot. Um, so I, I mean, this is so, this is such a well-known phenomenon. I'm pretty sure there was a criminal minds episode literally about noise and like just always driving some guy crazy. And so he started killing people. Like I, I I'm pretty remember, <laughs> but all that to say noise, it's just, our world is so crazy noisy, yes. which is why, even Jesus, long before any of those technological inventions, even Jesus went and prayed in silence before he began a new phase mm-hmm. of his ministry. Yeah. And if Jesus needs to get out of the hecticness of Nazareth to go pray, how much more so do you need to get out of the hecticness of your TV and cell phone and, yeah. and life to all go pray? Stuff. If Jesus needs silence to pray, you we, really need we <laughs> need silence all the time to have a shot. And I'm not, I don't want to imply, you know, as, as you echoed as well, like I, I don't want to imply that music is evil no, and it's not, it's, it's not, not that right. at all. Like, yeah. and, and music is really, there's a lot of beauty in music. Absolutely. I mean, I start and in my podcast with the Vivaldi track, there's, there's beautiful music out there, but I will say, um, and I'd love to, you know, hear the comments or whatnot and talk to some of my, friends and family and peers who are musicians, but there is, there is a difference in the noise level between beautiful music and just like mass produced garbage, like commercial music. Yeah. When you're listening to classical music, it's almost like going to a play. Mm-hmm. It's like there's something, there's a performance happening before you, and it's, there's a beauty that's engaging you on a deeper level and it doesn't sound noisy. Here's here's a there's a um, there's a good friend of mine who says that he only listens now he's gotten to a point in his prayer and in his life he literally only listens to Gregorian chant and even that he listens to it sparingly but he's he's he made an interesting comment you mentioned like the YMCA like a really loud like fun yeah, song you know, I was you know just random, random random yeah, word what, you know random song um, but he said he has never ever had a Gregorian chant song stuck in his head I would agree with that. In, from my own experience, I would also like agree with that because if you think about it, especially with when you're talking about modern music in the U.S., for example, mm-hmm. modern music in the U.S. is literally made to be sold. Yeah, made to, made for marketing. It's yeah. made for marketing, which means that the more addictive it is, the better it is. Correct. And so, yeah, it's like it's catchy beats, and that's why every song's kind of the same thing over and over again. <laughs> yeah. It's either you you have to catch them either with the catchy dance beat, or you have to catch them with the emotional sob. Like you've right, got right. like modern art, you know. T- every every generation has their angsty, you know, music mm-hmm. or whatnot that attracts the attention of all the teenagers. But anyway, totally. we're ta- we're harking a lot yeah. on music, but this is just a, a common thing. Yeah. You need silence. You need silence in your life in order for to sure. make room for prayer. Yeah, and part of what silence does is it creates space in your mind for the Lord. In other words, it also creates an environment in your mind where the Lord can actually come and reveal himself. 
Okay. And that's just, that's very obvious in scripture and it is very obvious in the lives of the saints. And so maybe step number one, take an inventory of the noise in your life. Try knocking out music in the car when you're by yourself. That was one thing I started. I did that in high school, actually. Like that oh, was cool. way, way, way back, and I was game. just like, and and um, and it didn't stick for long. Like it was one of those. I've, I've I kind of go back and forth, but I realized in high school, you know, if I turn music off, at bare minimum, I can think. I can think, and so what that was where it began for me in high school. I was like, man, I just want to think. I just want to think about, and, and I would literally just think about the Lord, and I would like, but and it's almost silly to think back on it now. I've never really thought about this too much, but what I would do on the way home by myself is I would, I would write like talks for the Lord, and I would present them to Him out loud in the car, just as like a way of like praising Him. Like I would describe Him and talk about Him, and just like toss wow. around theological t- ideas in my mind by by talking them out loud because I'm an external processor, which yeah. y'all can probably all pick up from how verbose I am. But I, I think <laughs> as I talk, and so I realized that even in high school, it's like let me just talk out loud about God, and I would do that. And it, w- and, it and I wouldn't say it's like this profound, deep mental prayer. Like I wasn't met, but. It was just the beginning of me wanting to spend time thinking about God and yeah. less thinking about John Mayer, who was the competing voice, uh-huh. you know, in that time. That's hilarious. And then it continued. And every once in a while, I've noticed when I'm feeling deeply and I just, I, I'm heavy, I want to turn the music off now. And and the more I turn the music off, the the more I can process and the more I can offer that stuff to the Lord, the more I can invite the Lord into my life. Yeah. And so music wise, I'm, I'm just telling you, give it a shot. Find space for silence. And it doesn't have to be eliminate all noise for the rest of your life, but, you know, eliminate some. And I I started to kind of say earlier, too, which I I want to highlight, there's also such thing as emotional noise, which is just like high anxiety environments. If there is a a relationship in your life or if there is a particular thing in your life, figure that out. Look, we're going to have some episodes on some counseling principles coming up here soon that I'm really passionate about. That may be able to help you figure those things out. But at the bare minimum, if you've got like friends who just are total drama, drama is emotional noise. Like that could be distracting in prayer, you know, all that kind of stuff. So just try to find silence and peace in your life and the Lord will help you find it. Like AJ's story, I love it because it's just the Lord coming like a, like a, angry, like vengeful father who's like trying to protect yeah. the, 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 you know, the, the, he's trying to like protect his son and he comes and just destroys this noise. So, you know, pray for that too, but silence is important. Yeah. But it silence is. is not all there is. Correct. There's also, um, there's also what we call sacred space. Okay. So step one to prayer, you need sacred silence. Set, step two to prayer is you need sacred space. You actually need a space to pray, and it's 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 a very similar principle to the silence. Um, the word "sacred" literally means set apart. Okay, you have a place that is set apart for using the bathroom. You have a place that is set apart for eating meals. You have a place that is set apart for sitting on the couch and watching TV. You have a place set apart for going to sleep. None of those things is as important as your prayer life. So my question is, in your space, where have you set apart a place for you to pray? And so sacred space is really important. That's a very important thing. We Remember, we are body-soul composites. We are incarnate spirits. We are a sacramental people as a Christian people. And so it's not enough to just say, I'm just, you know, because a lot of people will say that. And, and, I, and I get what they're saying, and, and, and I affirm it. But a lot of people say, well, I, you know, I just pray wherever I am. And I'm like, okay, 
That's totally possible because the Holy Spirit dwells within your heart and you do bring the Holy Spirit as a temple that's like migrating, you know, wherever you go. So that is possible. And anything you're experiencing can be offered as a prayer. But when we're talking about this deep, silent, profound mental intimacy with the Lord and in prayer, that requires a special place. And what you can do to define that sacred space is put sacred images in it, you know. How about you gather all of those prayer cards and those crucifixes and, and those sacred images and put them in one corner of your room? If you, if you have a big enough house and you're really devoted to this, create a whole room in your house. That's the dream of like every young Catholic couple right now. It's yeah. like we want a house big enough where we can devote a whole room to be a chapel. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I've seen families do it. And you know what? It transforms their family life because like we have a room for the bathroom. We have a room for the study, but we also have a room for prayer. And this is where we pray, and we'd go pray there as a family. But anyway, set some. And if it, if it can't be a whole room, that's fine. Set a corner. I have in my in my rectory, we have a chapel that has the Eucharistic, you know, repose. That's an advantage of being a you know a priest. So, but I also have a little prayer desk in my bedroom, right next to my bed. So, like when I wake up, I see like this is a place for prayer, and I don't do anything else in that place except for pray. Um, that's like so. That's like defining sacred space. That can be really helpful in setting up your prayer. I have college students who literally have a roommate in a dorm room. I mean, there's no less space than sharing a 12 by 12 cell with another, you know, grown human adult. Mm -hmm. And you know what they do is they, they get like a little TV tray and they put all their sacred items on it with their Bible right in the middle. And they pull that out and put it on their bed. And when they do that, they are now in their sacred space. Right. So you can do it. It doesn't matter how poor or rich or how much or how little space you have, you can mm-hmm. find a sacred space. Yeah. It's the principle. I mean, it's, and that's a basic principle of the whole faith, right? It's like, it doesn't matter how much you have. What do you got? Yeah. Give offer, something. Offer what you have. Offer yeah. what you have. That's yeah. it. It doesn't have to be perfect. Absolutely. You don't have to have a Eucharistic, you know, adoration chapel in your, in the middle of your house yeah, that like has like Gothic architecture. Yeah, you like, don't need yeah. all, I mean, yeah. you remember you, you're, you were the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Your, your heart is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So wherever you bring that kind of heart, you can do it, but set that place aside. Absolutely. It also acts as just a reminder. But the third thing you need is not only sacred silence and sacred space, you also need sacred time. Mm. You need to set time apart in your day in order to create the space possible um, to pray. Um, it, it, is, it is one of the easiest things to just not schedule. You're like, I'll pray like when I have time. But the problem is like, when do you have time? Like there's always something else to do. There's always, it's it, one of my, one of the greatest analogies I've heard. It's like, imagine a jar. And it, I think people have done this as a demonstration. They have a jar and then they fill it with sand. And then the instructor will say like, okay, now try to fit like the rocks in there. And it's like the jar's already filled with sand. Like I can't like fit the rocks. And he says, exactly. He said, the problem is the bigger the object, the more important it is. Right. Which also means you have to put it in first. Mm-hmm. Now, if you put the rocks in first and then the sand, the sand can fit around the rocks, but yeah. not vice versa. Yeah. And so his whole point is you have to put the things that are most important in your schedule first. Yep. So... Um, I have I have a couple of friends who are very very devoted to the interior life and into prayer life and they're they're an inspiration to me and to many of my friends and and their thing is they schedule their day first with prayer and then everything else has to revolve around their prayer prayer is non negotiable 
If they set a, a prayer date with the Lord at 1130 a.m., it does not matter what happens. 1130 a.m. is prayer. They drop whatever they're doing. They miss those phone calls. They delay lunch. What You know what I mean? Whatever you need to do, that's like, that's my schedule. Yep. You know? And, and this this happens all the time, and priests will joke about this as well, just for y'all's reference. But they'll say it's funny, like uh, people parishioners will reach out and say, "Hey, I really, I really need a meeting. It's important." And we're like, "Okay, what what time do you want to meet?" It's like, "Well, I can only meet after work." And there's mm. a part of it's like, "Okay, sure, sure, I get that. Like, you know, I totally get that." But there's another part. It's like, do you tell your doctor you can only meet after seven p.m.? Yeah. How like, you know what I mean? Like, how yeah. important really is sure. that? And I'm not saying that meeting with a priest is as important a prayer, but my point is that is one little microcosm of the fact that oftentimes our our physical needs or our worldly needs are put way above our spiritual needs. Here's another great example, and I use this all the time. I ask people, when's the last time you forgot to eat in a day? Like, you went a whole day, just forgot to eat, or oh, just ran out of time, couldn't eat today. Like, uh, maybe some of you who are weirdos, I don't know, maybe I think that's weird because I love to eat, but I'm like, no one forgets to eat. You know what I mean? Like, it, like you get to a point where you're so hungry, you'll literally cancel something or you'll rush to the, like, you'll figure mm-hmm. out some way to put some kind of sustenance into your body. Again, you could die without eating. That's true. But you will die for eternity without prayer. And so... Like you have to put prayer in first. So sacred time, sacred space, sacred silence. Do an inventory of your life. Where are you at with those things? Those are just some great practical starts. Yeah. Um, And be patient too. I would just kind of add that on, right? Be patient, start small. Don't try to, you know, pray two hours at the, at the get go, you know? Yeah. If you've never like really dove into this before, if you've never like, have begun mental prayer in your life, like, please just like start with 10, 15 minutes. Um, and be patient with yourself. Like if you, if you fail or if you miss, like, again, know that the Lord is merciful and that he just wants you to come back to him in those moments. If you've got that time set aside, commit to it the best you can, but you know, don't beat yourself up. Absolutely. And remember, yeah. again, and I, I say you have to, and I've been using yeah. that language a lot, which is yeah. harsher than it should be. Um, I say I, you have to because it's important. Right. But maybe the best way to say it is if you desire to develop this intimacy with the Lord, yeah, this is the best way to do it. Yeah. You know, um, because again, it's a relationship. It's a relationship. Correct. I mean, AJ, think about again, when you like first met Caitlin, you were hanging out with her and stuff. Like if you didn't set <laughs> time aside to spend time with her, you would not be married to her. That Correct. relationship would not last very long. I can't yeah. tell you how many breakups I hear about, you know, sobbing in my office. It's like, you know, do you just stop texting me back? And it's mm. like all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, because the relationship was falling apart because they weren't setting time apart for each other. Right. right. And stuff like that. Um, which that's an interesting image too, because oftentimes in a relationship, when one person stops texting back, it's because they're, they're backing out of the relationship without having expressly said it yet. And I think a lot of us do that with the Lord too. Totally. Right? We like we we subtly back out of the relationship by just ignoring it. And I was saying, you know, last time <clears throat> I was talking about it but like when I'm afraid of the Lord because I'm embarrassed by myself, I avoid him. And it's like the same thing kind of happens a lot even in human relationships, yeah. but all that to say um, all that to say, it's, it's a relationship, and the Lord is forgiving, yeah, which sure. which kind of is a perfect little segue into our next section, which is about the common pitfalls yeah. that people fall into when they get into prayer. 
Impatience. Huge pitfall. It's a big one. It takes time to develop. And again, you are not in control of the timing. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've, I've oftentimes thought this. I've, I've looked at like, there's, there's certain saints in the history of the church that are just, I imagine when God created them, he's like sitting up there in his like control. This is so, it's such a bad analogy, but it's funny. But he's like sitting up there in his control room and he's like, okay, for that one, like, oh, you know what? Make him a little taller. This I just want to, you know, like up that, up that stat real quick. Yeah, you know? yeah. And then I just imagine every once in a while, God just sees like somebody and he's like, just go all to 100. Like every spiritual gift, just give them all. And I, and I think like Catherine Asiena is one of those. Yeah. Like Padre Pio. Pio yeah. Like absolutely. these guys who are just like, oh, the they're, they're levitating and having visions and reading bi-locating souls. Bi-locating. It's like, yeah. why does he get all the gifts? Like I don't even, you know, it's like, well, like I can't even like function <laughs> I normally. Can't, right? I can't tie my like, shoe. You he's know? got the stigmata <laughs> and it's like floating <laughs> and you know, all that stuff. So I think about those saints sometimes. And I, and I, and I had this realization a couple of years ago. I was like, you know what? If you... Th- if you think about prayer as if it's your responsibility, then that would mean that, AJ, if you decided to abandon everything in your life and just kneel before the Blessed Sacrament for long enough, you would become Catherine of Siena. That would mean that the spiritual gifts in, in your holiness is completely contingent on you just need to try harder. Yeah, that's another pitfall. <laughs> yeah, but that's not true. It's, I know exactly. That's why right? it's it a doesn't pitfall. work. It doesn't yeah, work that correct. way, right? Like it's yeah. not how the that, the faith life works. Like the yeah. Lord is in charge of what gifts you get. He's in charge of the pace of your growth, which is why I bring this up. Yeah, don't be impatient. Right. You know, again, and I love what AJ gave the best advice ever. It's like if you are brand new to this, start with ten or fifteen minutes a day, mm-hmm. and just sit in silence. Yeah. Like there's no, you don't have to prove anything. You don't have mm. to say the right words. Just sit in silence and, and place your heart and your mind in the Lord, which brings up a next pitfall, which is frustration with distractions. Yes. Those are really tough. And that's a huge one. Yeah. That's Especially a really, for really mental huge prayer. one. Yeah. I, I will say that like the, the advice that I got, which I think is oftentimes, I think, I mean, you had shared this with me in spiritual direction. I found it very helpful and it was, um, yeah, like coming up with like a phrase, right? Um, yeah. And so, and in like mine, um, when I'm in prayer and I get distracted or something like is disturbing me, you know, I the name I have for the Lord that I oftentimes use when I talk about him is, is Lord Jesus, mm. my Lord Jesus. Um, and so whenever I get distracted, you know, very... As, as calmly as I can, you know, I just repeat the words, Lord Jesus, either under my breath or if I'm alone, I'll definitely repeat that out loud. Um, or if like I'm in the chapel or the church full of people, I'll do that in my heart, right? I'll do that in my interior. And, you know, that really kind of like draws me back to focus. It draws me back to him, but it also like then invites him in to where I'm at. Right. So like it draws me back to focus, but it, 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 again, it invites him in, which is the whole point. Like if we're trying to fill our hearts and minds with God, we want to continually like invite him. Um, and so that, that's like one way to help with distraction. Another thing, I think you use the image of like everything that you like show up with when you come to pray. Right. You like put yeah, it in the yeah. box and then like, exactly. yeah, you want to elaborate on that? I think no, that's, that's a, okay. Yeah, no, 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 exactly. Okay, so yeah. the, the point you just made about the having the phrase, I, I love that. And actually that was taught to me. So it's, oh, I love so, it's the tradition of the church. Tradition it just passes church, down. Praise right? God. Yeah. So when you're struggling with distraction, 
have a name that is meaningful to you, that reminds you of the intimacy you have with Jesus. Mm-hmm. My, my, the, the thing I say often is, um, Jesus, I love you. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, it's a, a great simple one. little thing that cuts through yeah. the, the noise. And um, I'll say, I mean, I'll say it while I'm hearing confessions. If I get distracted, I'll say it during, I mean, anywhere I'm at, mm-hmm. if I'm, if I, if I'm on the Lord and then just the, I get tempted with something else, or I'm just starting to think about it as I say, Jesus, I love you. And there's a way it just grounds my heart back in the Lord's love, you know? Yeah. I think mean, that's important. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So another thing you can do, and this actually brings up another common pitfall that's related to distraction. Um, and actually real quick before I move on. Um, I believe it's St. Francis de Sales. I really should do my research and look these quotes up, but I, I don't know which quotes I'm going to use until they come up. But I believe it's St. Francis de Sales that said, um, I'm almost positive as him now, but it's like he, he basically said, I'm going to paraphrase and elaborate, but basically it, don't be discouraged by how many times you get distracted in prayer. If you get distracted a thousand times in prayer, mm-hmm. but you turn your attention every time back, back to the to Lord him. gently, yeah. think about it. That is a thousand decisions you made for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and what St. Francis de Sales says of that time is he said, that is time well, well spent. He said that it's time well spent. Even if you struggle with distraction the entire time, you didn't feel like you had a productive thought, but every time you got distracted, you took a deep breath and calmly turned your attention back to the Lord. Jesus, I love you. If I had to say in prayer a thousand times, Jesus, I love you, that cannot be a waste. Even though I didn't get to talk about what I want to talk about or I didn't hear what Jesus wanted. Like, I sat there and with my will chose Jesus a thousand times in the 15 minutes, you know, or whatever it is. So... Don't be discouraged by prayer. The saints have all had distraction in prayer. Totally. And here's the thing too. Remember, the Lord's in control. How do you know he doesn't want you to choose him by fighting that? Dis- what if that is his will for that prayer? Just because the prayer is not going the way you think it should go doesn't mean prayer is not working. Correct. And and that kind of and that can kind of bring up even the difference between desolation and consolation, which we'll talk about later. But just understand the Lord's in complete control here. All you are called to do is be faithful. All you are called to do is to say yes and show up. But all this brings up um, all this brings up a really another important. You mentioned kind of the box, and I, and I use this image a lot, and I tell people to do this, and yeah. when they're meditating and when they're praying. Um, all of us come to prayer with something, right? We, we bring worries or concerns or we bring questions or discernment questions or things like that. And tell me, you know, don't tell me, you can't tell me this is, but if you're listening, think, ask yourself, how often do you go to prayer and then you spend the entire prayer time thinking about that thing you brought to prayer? Mm-hmm. Like say, say you're a young man and you're discerning the priesthood and say like every time you go to a holy hour, you just think about Am I called to be a priest? Am I called to get married? Am I called to do this? Am I, and it just the whole hours you've sitting here like wrestling with this idea, or or maybe um, maybe you're a, a mother and one of your children stop practicing the faith, and you're just like every time you go to prayer, you're just like, gosh, I just like Lord, please like help her, like whatever, 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 you know, who, whatever, like you just constantly are talking about it. What that is is you are going to prayer looking at Jesus and then setting up a mirror in front of him and then looking back at yourself. That may sound really harsh, but think about it. You just went to prayer and then you just thought out loud everything that's causing you anxiety in front of Jesus. That's what you just did. Mm -hmm. Did you leave time for listening? 
Did you leave time? And and even if you left, if you paused and asked Jesus questions, the problem is your whole concern that entire time was the concern you brought to prayer, not the Lord himself. What What am I getting at here? The point of prayer is intimacy with the Lord. So when you come to prayer, it's totally fine. Like prayer of petition, prayer of intercession, there's there's forms of prayer that are really important, prayer of thanksgiving. Those are all prayers that are kind of about other things, but offered to the Lord. But even those prayers are all about us uniting with the Lord, uniting through those intentions with the Lord. And so when you come to prayer with an intention, with a thanksgiving, with a with an with a intercession, with whatever you want to do, um, come to prayer. And then imagine that you were taking all of that stuff, that baggage, those those concerns, those worries, those questions, put them in a box and then set that box at the feet of the Lord and then leave them there and don't think about it again. And just say, Lord, this is what I'm bringing to you. And now how about you and I just sit here with each other? Don't dwell on your prayer, prayer intentions. Don't dwell on those petitions. Don't like you can get lost, absolutely lost in just trying to, you know, figure out things and you can get so distracted and lose so much time and and effort and energy and it can be exhausting. But the remedy to that is prayer is about the Lord. So when you're worried about something, say, where's the Lord in this? Hey, I'm worried about my daughter who left the faith. Well, where's the Lord with me in this? Ask the question, where's the Lord? Where's the Lord? Stop, you know, stop looking at the problem. Look at where the Lord is. And he will then enlighten the answer to the problem. Well, what you'll find is whatever problem you brought will only make sense in light of the Lord's face and love. Um, from John Paul II, uh, he talks about kind of this idea in, in theology, the body. He talks about how when... Um, when Eve was created, Adam saw himself like as in a mirror and in the otherness of Eve revealed himself to him. And so there's like a little bit of a, there's like an echo there where Adam learns about himself by seeing Eve, but not by looking at himself. He had to look at someone other than him in order to see himself. So what's cool is like prayer is the perfection of this because it's with God. When we look at God, I imagine that God's face is like an enlightening mirror where we see ourselves, but as he sees us. The problem with when you look at yourself is that when you look at yourself, you see yourself as you see you. And here's the thing. You're an idiot. (laughs) Here's the thing. You're blind. You don't know. You don't know yourself the way the Lord knows you. And so the best way to know yourself is by looking at what the Lord sees when he sees you. And you only know that if you're focusing on the Lord. And so one of the biggest pitfalls, one of the biggest mistakes I think people make, and I, and I know this with confidence because I made this mistake for years, yeah. is in prayer, we spend way too much time focusing on us and our problems and our Absolutely. needs. You're focusing on the Lord. Yeah. And if you focus on the Lord... Like he will, like father said, you know, he's going to end up like revealing to your own goodness in the end. Right. Like if, if the Lord like then shows you how he sees you, like you're going to see yourself as good. You're going to see yourself as beloved. You're going to see yourself as enough. You're going to see yourself as like one who is loved and created by God for God. And you won't see all of the problems that you like, you won't see yourself 
as like all of the problems and anxieties that you showed up with that day, you know, right? Like if you, if you take those and set them aside and like allow the Lord to take care of those things and you invite him to like reveal to you how he sees you, oftentimes like that is like the most relieving thing ever that I found. Like really coming to find, really coming to find out that like, God loves me so much and I can set all these things aside. And even if these things happen for like the next hundred years of my life, like that doesn't matter, you know, and I can still continue to give them to the Lord over and over again. And I can still like take the time to like set them aside, trust that he's going to intercede for those things. But then in turn, like he's going to just like reveal his love for me over and over again. And we want to be available for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Like when you focus on the Lord, everything is fulfilled. It's, it's right. Yes. And what you'll notice and what, what I have noticed when I, when I get caught up in a worry about something and I'm mm-hmm. like, gosh, I'm thinking about this thing about totally. when I lay that at the feet of the Lord and I look at the Lord and focus on him, my heart is enlightened with peace mm-hmm. and with joy. And mm-hmm. then I, it, it's like the problem becomes contextualized with his love. And all of a sudden, that problem does not seem nearly as bad or concerning. Yes. Because I'm like, you know what? I'm with the Lord. Yeah. And the Lord is so good and he's got me. And so it's like, why am I worried about this? And it just, it it just like, it immediately evaporates. Another, uh, there's a couple analogies that are used for like sitting in prayer. One of them is like sitting in the sun. You know, we talk about God as like the sun, you know, just the, oh, like yeah. the sun, the sun of God is literally the sun of earth, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Isn't like Carlo Cudi's talk a lot about that? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, I think bit. you're right about yeah. that. And so the cool thing is the sun has a couple different images. If you think about it, number one, sitting in the sun's presence, whether you feel it or not, you're getting burned. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like in time, the Lord is affecting you, even if you don't feel it in the moment, yeah. you know, he's like leaving an impression on you. You know, I hope it's more pleasant than a, a bad sunburn, but you know, that's kind of the idea. But another thing is the sun is light. It's the greatest light source on earth, you know? And so when you sit in the sun's rays, what you're doing is you're allowing the darkness in your heart to be banished by that light. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden fears that seemed debilitating all of a sudden are no longer scary. And and worries that were debilitating are no longer anxiety provoking. And like all of a sudden, like all this darkness just gets cured in that light. But it requires you to look at the sun. It requires you to look at the sun and let the sun, maybe even a better way, let the sun look on you. Mm. You know, so that's a big thing. I cannot encourage that enough. Focus on the Lord in your prayer. Yeah. When you go to Mass, don't focus on anyone around you. Don't focus on, focus on the Lord. What is, where is the Lord? How is the Lord presenting himself to me? Et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, next common pitfall. And this is one, um, this is one I'm particularly interested in. I've read a couple like books a little bit here and there about it. I'm I'm still kind of learning about this principle and tossing this idea around and playing it out, um, teasing it out, I should say. Um, <clears throat> but it's the relationship between prayer and work and play. You know, we I think we have a really messed up appreciation for the relationship between work and play just because we live in such a highly commercialized society, like work is seen as this. And we, and you, you cannot deny the fact that we were founded by Puritan Protestants who, who literally said like the, the idle hands are the devil's playground, right? So this idea that work like liberates you from sin by keeping you too busy 
for for temptation to even come about. And there's something to that. Like there's something to that. Like if you're just sitting around bored doing nothing, if you're not moving in any direction, the enemy can definitely have his way with you, right? The, we we know in Revelations that like lukewarm is like like lukewarm water the Lord will spit out the lukewarm soul, you know? And so like you want to be moving in a direction. You want to be kind of conquering things and moving forward in life. But we don't want to be workaholics. We weren't, we're not just slaves for work. And there's this playfulness in God that's really interesting. God did not create the heavens and the earth just as a work, but he created it as a, as a play. Like in playfulness is creative. But there's a relationship between play and work. And I got this idea from Hugo Rahner, who was um, Carl Rahner's brother, who um, wasn't quite as crazy, I guess. I don't know. But depending on your opinions of Carl Rahner. But Hugo Rahner wrote this book on man at play. And he talks about the fact that, think about it, the people who were the greatest at any job are those for whom that job becomes like play. And those who were the greatest at any game are those for whom that game becomes like work. So you can see how like work and play are very related. And and the 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 experience of play without any work is just frivolous meaninglessness. And actually children never do this, by the way. Um, the, like the Montessori method of education and even like the catechesis of the Good Shepherd, they talk about play as children's work. The idea is like they are working at play. And think about it. Children take play extremely seriously. Yes, There's do. rules to play. Oh, yeah. Like, and it's very particular on who does what and what the rules are of the game and the things that they create. And you could sit there and say, oh, they're just being silly. But no, they're like they are working in, in a child's way through their play. But then like, so, so like there isn't really such thing as play, just sheer play without a sense of work, without a sense of effort, because that's just nothingness. That's like, I, I don't even know what you would call that. Like that's, it would be like random joyful outburst of something, but not directed at anything, not ordered towards anything. Like the order of work kind of gives play its direction, right? Um, and you think about like, I think, I think about like famous and famous classical musicians, like they are playing an instrument. That's not an accident of language. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're doing something creative on that instrument. It's almost frivolous, but it's also a painstaking work, you know, like the, the, the thousands of hours those artists put in to become masters. But then work without play is just slavery. It's just like machinery. And so many people are trapped in that. They're just like filling a position to make some money, but they don't do anything meaningful. They have no creativity in that position. And unfortunately, I think our highly commercialized society has kind of created that environment. Mm. But okay, so how does prayer fit into this? Yeah, that was going to kind of be my question. Like, that's a really... Really yeah. neat theory. I kind of like the the interplay between those two, but like, okay. yeah, where does prayer fall into that? Here it you know? is. Here yep. it is. Yeah. Okay. Most people hate prayer because they treat it like work. Agreed. I have to pray. I got to go right. do it. I got to go put in my time, punch I my time to. card. I got to. I, I got, got to. to. I have, I to. have, I have to. to. I have to. Don't give your freedom away, by the way. People don't ever give your freedom away. You don't have to do anything. It's true. If Yeah. You're like, well, I have to feed the kids. Like, no, you don't. Now, there are consequences to not feeding the kids, and you don't want those consequences, but that's a want, not a need. And now, all of a sudden, you're speaking a different language. You have freely chosen to care for your kids, which is why you feel compelled to do it. But it's it's it was the compulsion is from from freedom, not from it's it's the 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 invitation that kind of impulse is a free impulse of love. 
So just be careful when you use the phrase, I have to. But a lot of people do. It's like, I have to pray. I got to sit in there and just grind it out. But what they're missing is the playfulness of prayer. That prayer is also a dialogue with another person and it's creative and it's not predictable. Work alone, like by itself, is it has structure and predictability and you know what's coming and you know what to do and you just put the time in. But play, playfulness is open to new possibilities and creativity. And so maybe if you view prayer as work, it's either A, you think God is a slave master, which is probably partly true, who's just created rules that, and I don't mean it's partly true, but it's partly true that you think that is what I'm trying to say. But you may think of God as a slave master who just drops arbitrary rules to run your life. Um, Or it could be that you just like, you're only concerned with pleasing people. And maybe for for you, prayer is laborious because you're afraid of disappointing God. Hmm. And so it feels like work because you feel like you have to put in a lot of effort. And that makes prayer miserable. Yeah. And that's not prayer, though. It's a relationship. Right. You're You're sitting before someone who knows you and loves you more than life itself. Yeah. Yeah, You're supposed to enjoy it. And I think the Lord knows that. Of, Of course, the Lord knows that about us, right? And so I think if we take the time to to pray and we allow the Lord to like make our hearts and minds creative towards him, like if he allows our imagination and allows our creativity to like kind of be used for the good, like to be used to grow and orient ourselves towards him and to come to understand him more deeply, like your prayer will like become uniquely your own, right? And I think like that's something important to say as well is like, like father, your prayer and my prayer are like, like, you know, they're, they're, I mean, they're similar because they're both oriented toward God, but like they have their own uniqueness about them in the same way that like you and I are created uniquely in the image and likeness of God. Right. Like our own prayer is the same. And so like, I think for myself too, something to elaborate would be like, I, I love, a good story. I love like a good journey, you know, like I I love to adventure and I love like, those are the things that I love. And like, I, the Lord has really used that in my Mm. prayer life. And like the Lord has, like, I, I, like if I sit back and I, if I guess if I really thought about it, I could write it as if it were a story, like my prayer life, Mm. right? Like I could write it as if it were a story because there are these high points and these low points and these, and like these beautiful images sometimes that the Lord brings in oftentimes or like even just like the, the crazy encounters that you have with people and just like the entire spiritual life. Like, it, yeah. And the Lord has really like painted it for me as a story and I've allowed him to do that. And I've allowed myself to kind of like fall in love with him in that way and to like be a part of the story right and like allow my allow yeah. my soul allow my my mind and allow my body to like really take part in that and i think yeah the lord is one knew that about me when he created me and has used it now like as a way in which like he and i share intimacy together yeah yeah which i think is really it's kind of neat you know? it's beautiful yeah yeah and that and that whole the the primacy of the story is also just so yeah, that's a that's an awesome thing. I mean, yeah. I think about Abraham, right? Totally. Abraham's like seventy five years old, sitting on his dad's couch, no prospects, hasn't done anything with his <laughs> exactly. life, and God shows up and says, "Hey, Abram, like, how about you be somebody? You know, yeah. 
leave the land of your fathers yeah. and go somewhere where I'll show you. Yeah. And he does it. He goes mm-hmm. on the adventure. And so, yeah, that, no, you're absolutely right. Like everyone's prayer life is going to be distinct because everyone's relationship with the Lord is distinct. Very Even distinct. though we share, we all share the same object of affection, which mm-hmm. is Jesus Christ. Um, the way he relates to us is particular to each and every one of us. Like absolutely. I find, I find the Lord, um, the Lord, the Lord has a sense of humor. And I don't mean the Lord just makes jokes and cuts up the whole time. Maybe for some people he does that. But my point is like he has a way of cutting through the seriousness while still drawing or I'll say this. He has a way of cutting through like my sense of anxious urgency by drawing out like a more fundamental truth. But he does it with these like little kind of quips of humor. And it's funny because like I just I kind of laugh and I'm like, oh, gosh, yeah, you're right. Like there was one moment. There's one moment in prayer, and it's kind of vulnerable, but um, I was praying, and I said, Lord, is you know, is there anything you want to show me? And I, I could kind of hear him in my in my heart. I could hear him say, my love. And I just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. My reaction was, Lord, that's kind of, that's kind of like cheesy. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, maybe yeah. I, mean, I was like, Lord, <laughs> that that's kind of so cheesy. Funny. That's kind of cheesy. I literally said that to him. Yeah. I was like, Lord, okay, come on. That's kind of cheesy. And he goes, and he, and he kind of chuckled and he goes, and I can hear him in, his, in my heart. He goes, no, I want, I want to show you my faithfulness. And that's what I was really needing at that moment. I was like, gosh, dang, the Lord is so faithful, even when I'm not. Like yeah. he never quits Amen. on me. Yeah. But then I said, Lord, I literally, I literally said, Lord, I feel like I could write this narrative like there was a part of me that's like yeah. how do you how do i know i'm not just making this up like i could have written this script yeah and then the lord cut through it and he said um he goes because you know my word huh. and what what that and that just boom like pierced right yeah, to the heart, your and, heart. And, he, and like he he got through the the facade but he spoke in a way that he knew my heart and he knew that he said he said because you know how i talk like you could write the text because you know how I speak, you know what I would say because you love me. And like, that was what he was trying to say. And I was like, boom. And that just like struck mm-hmm. me. And then I laughed and we kind of laughed together and I was like, That's gosh, good. man, you just like really broke me down. Damn, you know? But it was cool because he knows how to dialogue with us. Yeah. But um, anyway. Thanks the, for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the other thing that was, and I don't want to miss this. So yeah. wor- uh, uh, prayer can be seen as just work. Yes. But also... Prayer can be seen as just, just play, play, as if like yeah. it's like it's a total free for all, no rules, like whatever I feel like doing. Yeah. And there's that as well. And right. there's a lot of people who have fallen into that trap. And what yeah. you'll notice about those people is they have advanced nowhere in the faith. Right. They are still at the same place they were when they were in high school, when they went on that retreat. Like they just, yeah. and it's like when I feel like it, I do it. But the problem is, I mean, again, prayer's not let, just your let's, feelings. Let's yeah. go back to a relationship element. So AJ, what if you just, if you only loved Caitlin when you felt like it, or I only showed up to celebrate mass for my people when I felt like it, like. We would not be doing very well. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, like there's, yeah, there's an element. Loving. Like, yeah, th- th- yeah. There is a work yes. in successful play Correct. and there's a playfulness in successful work. And so with prayer, it's the same. There is a discipline to prayer. Yeah. There is a, there is a sense of, there is a sense of. I need to show up. Yeah. Sacrifice. There is a sense of sacrifice where yes. I sacrifice what I'm feeling for what I know is right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that is where like the balance of work and play is very important in prayer. Correct. And to kind of identify maybe where are you on that element? Do I need a little more creative playfulness? Do I need an openness to newness? 
or, or do am I, I or do I need to do I need to be open to the fact that the Lord may ask me to do the same thing? Sometimes we get caught up in the idea that the Lord only ever asks us to change. Mm. Sometimes I've found that the hardest thing to do is not to do something new, but to do the same thing. Isn't that the difficulty of marriage in a sense? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's not that like you're being called to, it, what you're being called to do is you're actually, you're not just sacrificing your potential for relationship with everybody else. What you're sacrificing, what you're basically sacrificing in marriage is, 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 is not just everything right now, but you're sacrificing for the rest of your life. Yes. You will be bound to this one person. Mm-hmm. Like, so you're at, the Lord is calling you to stay, yeah. not to move. Correct. And oftentimes I've noticed that the enemy will tempt people, especially away from marriage, I've noticed. They'll tempt them away yeah. from marriage by saying, you need to go be a missionary or go do some great thing. And it's like, yeah. what if the vo- Lord's voice is actually to do something ordinary, yeah. but to do it with great love? Absolutely. You know, and so that's that's something. And that actually brings us up to probably the last thing we should talk about because we're running short on time. Dang, man. I know. it's We can we can keep talking. We can have more interviews, maybe. Like, we can just keep yeah, talking. Yeah. Because we could, I mean, I'm sorry, guys. AJ and I could talk about prayer like <laughs> for, for weeks years, at a time. So yeah. Let's talk a little bit about discernment of spirits. Sure. Okay. Because when you get into the mental prayer space and you start doing this and you set the silence aside and you set the time aside and you set the space aside and you get all that stuff done, what you'll run into is you'll hear things and you'll actually start encountering things and you'll have movements in your heart and things will start happening. And then and then it's going to be like, well, what is that? Where's that coming from? What's this yeah. or that? The first thing I want to say is this, the Lord is in complete control mm-hmm. and whatever happens or whatever you hear, the Lord is allowed. Okay. At, at minimum, if not, he did it himself. And so do not be afraid of prayer. Do not be afraid of what may happen or what you may see or what you may encounter. Like, it's nothing to be afraid of. The Lord's in complete control. And if you place your trust in him, he'll guide you. But there are some rules that have been laid down by the the spiritual masters, um, most notably St. Ignatius of Loyola. He has rules for the discernment of spirits. And it helps us, I don't want to say analyze like in a super critical way, but it, it does. It empowers us to understand and to listen to what is the Lord and what is not. And he discerned them and he figured them out from his own life because Ignatius of Loyola was a great soldier and he had all this prideful, vain fantasy of being a great hero on the battlefield like the books that he read. But then he got this cannonball injury that shattered his leg and it like mauled him or whatnot and he couldn't ever be a soldier again, but he was laid up in bed. I mean, this is a long time ago. This is the 16th century. So this is like they didn't have great medicine. They just kind of set the leg and it didn't set right. And he was vain and it didn't look right. So mm-hmm. we had him break it again to yeah. reset it. I mean, total, <laughs> total prideful guy. guy. But he was laid up in bed with his, and I think it was his sister's house. And she, um, he said, okay, do you have something for me to read? And she just brought him the lives of the saints in the Bible. It's like, mm. oh, this is all I have in the in the house. Sorry. And I'm just, I'm thinking to yeah. myself, like I'd see sister being Set like, that oh, up. this is all I got. Yeah. Sorry. Total <laughs> you know? setup. Anyway, so he started reading them. And what he realized is as he read the lives of the saints, he was filled with peace, with joy, with patience, with um, charity. But then when he would reflect on the great heroism of being a great soldier in general, like he wanted to his whole life, his heart was then filled with despair and worry and anxiety. And so he noticed the difference between those things in his interior life. So he kind of categorized rules of discernment of spirits. Um, what I want you to do is if you, if you, if you're available, pull up Galatians five, 
um, verses 22 and 23. Okay, those verses are very, very important because the the one of the first things to know about the discernment of spirits. And I'll start. There's there's 14 rules on the first set of rules, um, and I'll start with rule four or rule three. I go, oh gosh, I always go. Three is consolation. Consolation is that moment where you feel the Lord's closeness. You have a you have a very real uh, sense of His presence, and you are, your heart is filled with the with like those fruits of the Holy Spirit. Your heart is filled with peace and joy, and you just have a lot of confirmation of of what you're doing. And the Lord is oftentimes very generous with that. And consolation is oftentimes a, a gift that the Lord gives to confirm you in that hey, you're moving in the right direction. Um, that's that's consolation. Desolation, on the other hand, is when the Lord's presence is not obviously felt. Desolation is when you maybe feel a distance with the Lord. Um, Mother Teresa says that she spent 40 years of the end of her life in, in what we call the dark night of the soul. And the dark night of the soul is basically she did not have any kind of clear idea of the Lord's presence in her life at all. For 40 years, that's a, that's a tough time, but that's what desolation is. And, um, and so that's desolation. So desolation is when you feel like that's, that's when your heart's like, I don't feel like praying. I feel tepid. I feel lazy. I feel despair or worry, or I just don't like that's that, that is what desolation is. And so, um, consolation is, is those positive feelings. Desolation is not, but what's interesting about consolation and desolation is all the spiritual masters say that those are natural ebbs and flows in the spiritual life. And they are not necessarily, they are not necessarily consequences of you doing something right or wrong. They are all gift. If you were in consolation, it's a gift from the Lord. If you're in desolation, it's a gift from the Lord. And you may be like, how is desolation a gift? Because it's an invitation and a deeper presence and a deeper sense with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so when you were in desolation, you're like, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like this is working. When you're in desolation, all the spiritual masters say, do not change your spiritual practices. The temptation will be, oh, it's not working. I need to stop praying as much. Maybe yeah. I need to change it up, right? Maybe I need to start doing this instead. And that's what the enemy wants. The enemy is going to tempt you in desolation to abandon your commitments and your and your and the things that you've set aside. But what John of the Cross, one of my favorite quotes ever from John of the Cross, and I'm not going to directly quote it, but he he said that one utterance of prayer in desolation is worth a thousand psalms sung in consolation. So the point is like you may feel like your prayer is not working, you may feel like it's it's just you're grinding out, nothing's really happening, but the fact that you are persevering through desolation that is everything. That is that is the fact that because you are choosing the Lord even when you don't feel like it. So discernment of spirits, how do you tell when the Lord's speaking? How do you tell when the enemies may be inviting you to something? The simple thing is, what is the effect that thing has on your heart? So I'm going to have AJ read um, Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. What Paul is telling the Galatians is this 
is the spirit of the whole, this is the Holy spirit. This is the, the fruits of the Holy spirit. And those are the fruits. If you've, if you went through confirmation class and you had to memorize the fruits of the Holy spirit, those are them. If you want to know when the Lord is speaking, if you want to know if you're doing the right thing, those are the fruits of the Holy spirit and the fruits bear where you're following the Lord's will. If you just heard that list of, of things and you're like, I haven't felt those in a long time. I think it's time to pray. Like it's time to go back to the Lord and confront him and, and go back to the Lord and let him confront you. Maybe is a better way to say it. Um, and let him love you and, and encounter him in prayer and, and let the Lord wash you clean with the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Let him like bear those fruits in your life so that you may encounter him in a new and deep way. Um, just a little anecdote to kind of close this out. And there's much, again, there's just so much to say. And I apologize. I feel like there was a, um, more we probably could have said, or maybe said better, but you know, this is it. Like the prayer life is something you have to do to learn. But in my life, I remember, um, I went to LSU for three years and was pre-med studying biology, about to go to med school, was dating a girl at the time. And, um, just life on paper was like picture perfect. Like I was doing things. I was going to daily mass, like I, even on the faith wise, like on the surface, like everything was great. Like I was practicing the faith. I was super adamant about it. I was very involved. I just had a lot of really good friends, friends of most of whom are like still really good friends with today. Um, had all these friends, all this great life going on. Everything was going well. And it, but and then all of a sudden, one night in adoration, I was praying before the Blessed Sacrament. And for whatever reason, I just got in tune with the Lord. And now I say it, I got in tune with the Lord, but what do we know happened? For whatever reason, quote unquote, in other words, God was ready to talk and God was ready to get my attention. And so he drew me deeper into himself and I was willing to say yes. Okay. And so he drew me into his presence and he asked me, do you really want to go to medical school? Or do you really want to be a doctor? That's how he worded it. And I just sat there and all of a sudden, like all that time at LSU, all those relationships, all the time in school, all the time studying for the MCAT, all that stuff just kind of flashed before my eyes. And I realized as much as I love medicine, as much as I love studying it, as, as much as I think I do a really good job at it, both of my parents are doctors, my sister's a doctor, like it's kind of a family thing. I realized it's like, I don't want to do this. And my heart was kind of filled with like, when I was thinking about those things, my heart was filled with almost a dread. And I'm like, gosh, like, is this what it feels like to want to do something? I dread it. It's like, no, not at all. And so after a few minutes of me panicking, cause I'm like, Lord, I'm like two and a half, three years into this process. Like, this is not just, I can't just stop being a doctor. You're like, what am I going to do? You know, whatever. And then finally, after some squirming, the Lord said, I want you to go to seminary. He said, I want you to go to seminary. And then from the instant those words passed into my heart, my heart was filled with joy, with peace. I, I was confident like in myself in a way that I had, I had never been before. I was immediately cured of insecurities I didn't even realize that were operating my life. My, my heart was completely transformed in just that one moment. And from that moment on, you know what's crazy? I've never lost that joy. I've never lost that peace. And I have gone through tough times. Like I've been through brutal times. I've at Seminary was not easy. And there were moments in seminary where I was even considering discerning out. But you know what's funny is when I thought about discerning out, you know what came back into my heart? Misery, dread, like anxiety, worry. And so that's that's what I mean when I say discern 
like the Lord's presence in your life. Like that is what prayer can do. It can put you in tune with what the Lord is saying and not what the enemy is trying to tempt you into. And the cool thing is even through the hard times, the fruits of the Holy Spirit persevere. Those are not just feelings. Those are deep spiritual experiences that persevere through good times and bad. And so brothers and sisters, if you want joy and peace in your life, there is one way to do it. And it is to follow the will of God above all else. It is to, it is to give your life over to him and trust him. And prayer is going to unlock that intimacy. It's going to unlock the vulnerability and the trust that makes love possible. Your Lord is a, is, a, is a God who has revealed himself as a father. He's a father who loves you. He's going to find you. He's going to help you. He's going to build you up. The biggest task, maybe the biggest challenge of the Christian life is just letting ourselves be found, letting ourselves be loved. And so take the risk, take the leap of faith, and try your hand at mental prayer coming forward. AJ, thanks for joining us on these um, episodes about prayer. We're going to have to bring you back and keep talking about prayer, man, because there's there's so much more to say. But Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Any concluding cool. words of encouragement for our oh, listeners man. in prayer? Um, in prayer. Hmm. Listen. Mm. You have a very uh, you have a very Benedictine heart. I've told you that before. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. About that's the beginning. That's the beginning of the rule of Saint Benedict. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. I think it's important. Yeah. God wants to say beautiful things to you. He really does. And on that word, God bless you guys. See you next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Epiphany Podcast. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of His hand.